The Live with Squacky podcast is sponsored in part by Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver and Antland Productions. Hi, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Live with Squacky. I'm your host, Val Kelly, otherwise known as Squacky Voice. Today is part two of my fun interview with Dan Friedman. I hope you guys enjoy. What are you working on now that you're allowed to talk about? I'm doing imaging for radio stations, and cool. most recently, I am an internal voice for BMW. Oh, that's it's awesome. kind of nice. Very yeah. cool. And I do some other things that I can't talk about. <laughs> the fun ones that you don't get to talk about. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you're working, though. I'm glad you're getting out there and booking stuff, because like you said, it is very feast or famine. I do think that people need to understand that there are going to be times when you get tons of auditions, whether it's from your agents or whether it's from referrals or whether you're on the pay-to-plays or whatever. And then there are just going to be times when it's like crickets in the background and you're like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, absolutely. I can tell you that with this strike going on, it's going to be a monumental turning point because what a lot of people don't remember that I remember very well is that thanks to the actor's strike in 2000, that led to, with the convergence of technology, the internet was just becoming uh, accessible to everybody around that time. <laughs> and the home studio thing was just becoming possible around that time. It upended the industry. And that's why there is a non-union voiceover industry today, because of, I say, largely because of that strike back in 2000 and the convergence of technology at the same time. So it's a scary time. It is something that I've always been non-union and lived in a right-to-work state. I just have. So it's never been an issue as far as the union or not union. I've done lots of union jobs over the years. I'm certain that I'm union eligible, but it is something that is really just this strike is going to do something to the industry. We're not quite sure what yet, but it's going to turn things over in some way. We're going to have to wait and see what that is. But ultimately, the most important thing is that we continue as creatives and as artists to support one another and to support the arts and to use this time to become the best that we can be in whatever field it is. And musicians totally understand this. Musicians have been through these kind of transitions back in the 90s when Napster came out. Technology is going to continue to completely upend industry, whatever industry, and particularly creative industries, because people think they're fun, and they are fun. But that doesn't mean that a whole lot of work doesn't go into it and a whole lot of effort. Artists deserve to be supported and paid for their work and their efforts, as does everybody surrounding their efforts that help to make it possible. I don't know what's going to happen as a result of the strike. It's concerning for sure. There'll be, like most things, I have to say that there'll be balance to it. I'd like to think there'll be some balance to it, as in there'll be some good things that come out of it. There'll certainly be some bad <clears throat> things that come out of it. I hope that it's all going to work out. It'll all work out in the end. And if yeah. it doesn't work out, it's not the end. I can't remember <laughs> who said it first, but somebody. <laughs> artists struggle for credibility, and artists struggle for accessibility, and have for their entire lives and, and since the beginning of art <laughs> right it's high time that people recognize that 
This is something that we work at because we're passionate about it. And just because we're not lawyers or accountants doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. So a very important question. Are you a coffee drinker? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. Okay. Much to the dismay of my vocal cords and vo- <laughs> actually not, it doesn't bother my vocal cords. I'm a coffee drinker. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> I love coffee. It's, I just do. Good answer because if it was no, there would be trouble. <laughs> oh, no. I like my coffee. <laughs> do you have a favorite travel destination? I've been to uh, quite a few places now. And I actually am going to Ireland next year because my son just starting college in two weeks. Wow. My youngest son is starting college in two weeks. He's going to Western Carolina University. Nice. And the marching band is going to be playing in Ireland on St. Paddy's Day. They're going to be marching in the St. Paddy's Day Parade in Ireland. Naturally, we're going to go see him play. Of course. That's amazing. I have to say, this was a surprise. A few years ago, we went to Ecuador, and Ecuador was an amazing place. It really was beautiful. There were volcanoes, and we were on the Amazon. It was amazing. Is it my favorite? I don't know, but it was pretty amazing. It's just never a place that I had thought of going prior to that opportunity coming up. That one actually was with my older son. His school was going to Ecuador, and we decided that we were going to tag along on that too. Nice. So they're famous for their chocolate. And one night we stayed in a spa hotel and they give you a massage with dark chocolate. Oh. And yeah, we had massages with chocolate. And let me just tell you, the aroma from the chocolate was unbelievable enough to, even if the massage hadn't been decent, that would have been enough. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it. Oh my gosh, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird actually, but yeah. nice. Well, we know you love to work on music and you're learning to play the guitar and we know that you sing, but what else do you like to do in your spare time? You know, I'm kind of a homebody most of the time lately. I, Especially since the pandemic, I just haven't gotten out as much. And part of that also has to do with both my kids drive my cars now. I don't have a car, really. My wife has a car, and both my boys have basically adopted my cars. So (laughs) most of the time, I'm just stuck here at home. I love to eat good food and drink good cocktails. And other than that, I kayak quite a bit. If the river were a little cleaner right this summer, we'd probably be out there more. That's probably it. That's great. You live in an area where you have a lot of opportunities to do outdoor stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There is waterfalls here and I'm 10 minutes from being able to be on the river at any time. 10 minutes from the airport if I do need to go somewhere else. I'm about 15 minutes from downtown and we have here in Asheville. This is just a tremendous town for arts and for food and for outdoor activities. Like you say, my son, like I said, is going to Western Carolina University. It's about an hour west of here, and it's known as being an adventure campus. He just came back from rock climbing, which was so cool. If I were a younger man, I might still do some of those things, but not not so much anymore. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. I went to college at Lenoirine University. It was Lenoirine College when I went there. Yeah, okay. In Hickory. So it wasn't too far from Asheville. I took a skiing class, which was super fun. So we went skiing every week. Yeah. The easiest day I've ever gotten, probably. (laughs) I had a wine tasting class. Nice. I was... For a little while, I was a hotel and restaurant management major, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. 
I don't look like I'd ever been anybody who wore a suit and tie to work. <laughs> I did actually for a little while in my 20s. And when I was still discovering myself, I took a wine class in college, which was kind of fun. We went through two, <laughs> there were a hundred people in the class and we'd bust out like 15 bottles of wine or something or 20 <laughs> bottles of wine for everybody in the class. And so we did wine tastings. That's cool. I did that in France, actually, when I was in university in France for a semester, one of my culture and civilization classes. And one of our classes was a wine tasting class. And it was like the best class ever. <laughs> it was so <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> I lived in Aix-en-Provence, so they brought in all the rosés and things like that that are famous from that part of France. And they had little buckets all over the table. And you were supposed to spit it out, you know, like taste it, taste the flavors. Yeah. And you were 20. One, 22 at the time? I was actually 19 because I was living there during university, but... Ah, um, gotcha. So yeah. you weren't spitting out any wine then? I wasn't spitting out any wine, no. They were like, <laughs> no. oh, yeah. So that was a pretty funny class. I'm not going to lie. I probably left that class a little tipsy from time to time. <laughs> probably. Okay, so what are some goals that you have for yourself to accomplish over the next few months? I insist my main goal right now is really to help as many people as I can with my coaching and help them connect emotionally to their script with intentions and really just be better than AI. I can't stress enough how important emotional connection is going to be moving forward. So that's really my goal. And I realize it's kind of a goal for other people, but it really is my goal. I love doing it. I love helping people. I love transforming their deliveries into something that is bookable. Other than that, for me personally, I'm just going to keep getting better at guitar as best as I can, because it is something that I took way too long to get serious about in my mind. I should have started and been more serious when I was younger, but everything happens for a reason. I am now invested in it. I'm actually recording myself, trying to make songs. So it's really grown a lot in the last two and a half years. And uh, it's something that I'm excited about. And I'm just going to keep trying to get better. My husband actually takes guitar lessons as well. I should start a band. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'd love it. The hardest part about being an older person as opposed to being a kid starting a band, the hardest part about learning to play an instrument as an older person and then wanting to do something with it is finding people who will A, take you seriously enough because you haven't been playing for a long time and B, that they are understanding enough that you're learning and whatnot. So it's kind of like one of those things. Are they going to take you seriously enough that they want you in their band? And then secondly, are they so much better that they don't have the patience to wait for you to catch up? But it is rock and roll, so it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. It has to be some semblance of good. And I'm getting close to the part, I think, and at least in my mind, I've already played with some other people. So it's getting to a place where I can start doing that and feel more confident about that. I haven't put in my 10,000 hours on that yet. So <laughs> it's a great skill to have to play a musical instrument. And so that's awesome. I play piano and violin, but I never got into guitar. I felt like my arms were too short to be able to ever do it comfortably. But I know that's like a lame excuse, but it just wasn't my thing actually is what it is. You should definitely do your thing. As I have said many times, I... Just didn't really go into it with the right 
attitude or any of that when I first tried to learn when I was young. And then any time that I ever picked up the instrument since, it really was a time thing. I was working with musicians so early in my career as an audio engineer, I just didn't have the time to focus on learning an instrument or other things because I was really focused on learning to become a better audio engineer. Right. What is really great is that now that I'm learning to be a musician from a player's standpoint, because audio engineers are musicians in their own right, at least in my mind, learning to do this from a musician standpoint, it's great because I've already got some of those other skills and I already know it's helping me make greater gains quicker. It makes it fun and inspiring and also seriously frustrating because, of course, I know what sounds like to be a good guitar player. And I don't think I'm there yet. So that's the same thing with people who start voiceover. They hear that they're not ready yet. And they just have to put in the time and get the training. And I do take guitar lessons in addition to learning on apps and things like that. So it's important to me to just learn how to do it and to be somewhat decent at it. So I'm going to keep on plugging away. Keep on plugging away. It's all part of the creative process. I think as creative people, we just have this natural motivation to keep adding things to our skill set. You know, I think it's just part of being a creative mind. Creative people must create. Yeah. So are you active on social media? Oh, boy. Yes. (laughs) I'm afraid so. It is the single most best worst thing that's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your new posts on Instagram lately, a lot of videos and stuff. That's great. I have upped my video game this year. That is true. I've hit over a thousand followers on TikTok in just three months. Nice. So that's been nice. I'm getting a little traction with those things. And I have been cross-posting to Instagram and a little bit to Facebook and to YouTube to add to some of my older videos that were there. Yeah, I'm trying to step it up, give some good tips, hopefully help some people out with some of the things that I'm saying. And of course, come see me for coaching, anybody who's listening. I promise it will be something that will probably be different and hopefully transformative for you, but I think you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, can you tell our listeners your handles on social media so they can follow you if they choose? And then I'll put them also in the show notes. Dan4VO, that's Dan the number four, VO, like voiceover, is one of them. Sound, the number four, VO, is another. Dan Friedman, you're going to find me probably with that. Dan Friedman, VO, or Dan Friedman, four, VO. Uh, (laughs) I own that four, VO. So almost anything that comes up four, VO is going to have to do with me or some sort of science-y type thing. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not a science-y type thing. (laughs) I appreciate science, but I'm not a science-y thing. So you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or no? I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. Okay, got it. As in, like, I have a thing there, and I used to be a little bit active, but nah, I'm good with Twitter. I don't really need it. I know. It's one of those things where like when I first started on Twitter, I don't know, it's been like nine years or something like that. I was really super active on Twitter just because you really have to be active on any platform in order to get the traction that you want to get. If you're interacting with people, they're going to interact with you. That's a whole game. But Twitter in particular is just something that's grown and evolved and changed so much. It's hard to keep up with 
all of the different platforms and how they keep changing and the algorithms and all the stuff. So my advice to people is choose two or three platforms that you want to be really active on and then kind of just like leave the rest of them (laughs) because it can be really overwhelming. I've tried to be active on all of them and I'm only one person. I can't do everything. I mean, I try. Yeah, I completely understand. I think that that's really the right strategy. Pick one or two that you're really happy with and stick with those most. I was really reluctant to do videos for a long time. I had an assistant five years ago or so who kept insisting, you got to do videos, you got to do videos. I wish I'd listened to her because I would have had a whole body of material at this point years later. I was so apprehensive at the time. I'm like, this is an audio field. Nobody needs to see me. Right. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. But that's another thing. You got to admit your mistakes along the way, too. You got to try stuff. There's plenty of things that I've tried in my career and attempts that I have made that have failed. And it's what it is. It's part of the game sometimes. You got to try things. And if you're failing at Twitter, don't feel bad about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, I think that that's what we need to get down, land this plane. Don't feel bad if you're not excelling on all social media platforms. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. I love Instagram. That's my favorite platform. That's where you'll see me posting the most stuff. I try to hit Facebook when I can just to cross post because of owning my own company. You have no other choice besides to cross post your information to try to reach the maximum amount of people. When you're advertising for an event in particular, you have to try to cross post. In the beginning, Twitter was a great platform because when you build your following, it's a great way to get the information out to a lot of people really fast. So that was my thought process with Twitter, and that's why I still have Twitter accounts, is that it's a great way to reach not only your followers, but anybody who's on Twitter if you have a public account, which I definitely don't ever recommend to people to have a private account because you're just not going to get the traction that you want depending on what your goal is. With Instagram, I have a public account for my company, and then I have a private account for my personal just nonsense of whatever. And I think it's a good balance. I think all my stuff is largely public. I'm not posting a lot about my personal life on there in general, usually. Right. I will certainly post certain things. I never posted anything about my kids until they turned 18 years old. Right. That was one thing that was really important is to not really, their lives are nobody's business but theirs and mine and their families. So I never posted anything about them really. I haven't been leaving the house much lately. So I haven't very, <laughs> had very many fun things uh, outside of this just to talk about, but I totally get it. You know, I'm actually doing an event in New York City on Sunday. So yeah, I get it. I mean, you have to cross post in order to fill these spaces. And it's a lot of work. People don't really understand what goes into wrangling people. If you've ever, and I'm just going to keep it simple here, because I know you've done things that are far more challenging. If you've ever tried to run a Cub Scout meeting with people, parents, other people involved, right? You know how difficult it is to get everybody on the same page with something. And certainly running an event like you do, Val, that's an even bigger endeavor. So the reason I don't believe in conspiracy theories of any kind is because it's really hard to get people to agree on things. And (laughs) and then if they do, oftentimes there's somebody who's really not fully committed or somebody who just feels like they still have an opinion about it strong enough that they're going to share it with somebody else. And then eventually it all trickles down and the truth comes out in the end. So... I'm just a pragmatic person in that way. So it really does take a lot of planning to do these things. And 
we are so grateful when people come out to see us and to learn from us and to all those things. It's just is the best way to connect with people. And I can just tell you, networking, getting out of the house, getting out of your booth where you're most people who've been in this business for anything less than 10 years have not done very much. So getting to see other people and work with other people, it's just so important. So we don't do these events because we're trying to make a bunch of money because I don't think any of us really do. No. Uh, I think what it really is about is helping people and making sure that we're serving the community the best that we can. I think the toughest thing is balancing out probably the budget, you know, because it's like you have to, the economy the way it is right now, and then just trying to balance what do you have to charge people to be able to run the event? It's not even about making your profit because that hardly ever happens. And I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have is that, oh, she's making this huge profit. Actually, no, it's like not a thing. (laughs) It's a balance of how much does it cost to run the event? And when you have it at a venue that's a high-end venue and you have to provide meals for people and you have to bring in all the guest speakers and pay for all of that. Throwing events and doing workshops is a challenge from cost to getting people wrangled, but it is truly the best way to network with people and to see other people in action. If you've been in this business less than 10 years, then you you probably haven't gotten to see that very much. And remember, two of those 10 years were years that you didn't get to see anybody work because you were home. And in fact, it's funny because with events and things, I'm getting to see people. Even just this year, I've seen people that I haven't seen in a while. And they're always like, yeah, oh, I haven't seen you in such a long time. I'm like, yeah, plus two years. <laughs> it's almost like those two years are kind of lost in people's minds at this point. But yeah, I haven't seen you in a long time, plus the two years where that wasn't even possible. So we forget. Thank goodness we forget. There were some elements of uh, quarantine that were pretty nice, too. (laughs) I kind of got used to being home, honestly. Going back to work as a teacher, that was one of the hardest things was, oh, I have to actually get out of my house and drive to work again. What's this all about? But during quarantine, it was, oh, auditions are coming in. Great. I can just go to my studio and I don't have to go anywhere. Well, as I always tell people when we were quarantined and everything. I'd been practicing for quarantine my whole professional life, (laughs) starting with the move from live sound into the studio. Yes, I've been spending most of my professional life in a dark padded room by myself anyway. (laughs) A lot of us have, so it's okay. (laughs) I'm even wearing that shirt today. I have a shirt that says I sit in a dark padded room hearing voices and talking to myself. (laughs) It's really a funny profession if you think about it. (laughs) It really is. And it's a fun profession, but that shouldn't let people think that it isn't work. Well, listen, Dan, this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. And it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I really look forward to seeing you at Mayfoot 2023 in November. And in the meantime, I wish you tons of continued success in your voiceover work, coaching, and everything you do. Absolutely. Likewise, Val. I'm really excited about Mavo. I love DC and I love coming to see you and everybody that'll be there. So I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Live with Squacky. Don't forget that the Mavo 2023 Get Inspired Conference is coming up on November 10th through 12th at the Westin Dulles Hotel in Herndon, Virginia. This year, our platinum sponsor for the event is NAVA. That's the National Association of Voice Actors. We're so grateful to have this outstanding organization supporting our event. 
Our Gold Level sponsors are JMC Demos and Bear Cave Silent Boots. We have Bob Sauer as our Silver Level sponsor, Mark Scott and VoiceOver Printer as our Bronze Level sponsor. I want to say that it's truly an honor to have so many people and companies put their faith in me to organize and run such a wonderful event. We have an outstanding list of in-kind sponsors like Hindenburg, John Florian's VoiceOver Extra, The VoiceOver Collective, BSW, The VoiceOver Resource Guide, and of course, our amazing technology sponsor, Antland Productions. This year, we have a coffee sponsor too, because we all know how much I love coffee. So, Lorenzotti Coffee is providing us with some delicious bags of espresso that we'll be giving away to some very lucky attendees at our closing ceremony. We have a ton of people who have given donations towards paying for the coffee breaks this year too. There are honestly so many, I can't even recognize them all in one podcast, but they'll be thanked publicly in signage at the event. Also, let's talk about the outstanding lineup of talented guest speakers we have this year. Serena Irwin is our awesome keynote this year, and she'll be joined by a star-studded lineup of guest speakers, including Colleen Evanson, Michael Scott, Laura Schreiber, Mark Scott, Joseph Briano, Katie Lee, Monique Bagwell, Anna Clements, Paul Schmidt, Vanessa Richardson, Dan Friedman, Yolanda Spearman, Sean Pratt, Angelina Bruno, and Andrea Bean from AB Squared Talent, Jim Frank, Kelly McGee, Karen Gilfrey, Tim Friedlander, J. Michael Collins, and, <laughs> oh yeah, me. I'll be offering a breakout session called Let's Play this year. Without giving away too much, I'll just say you definitely won't want to miss that one. It's going to be a blast. Three full days of sessions, lunch on Saturday and Sunday, coffee breaks daily, hours and hours of original voiceover content from top industry pros, a fabulous venue, high-quality everything, and super attention to details. Join me in November for what will surely be our best event so far. Visit www.midatlanticvo.com for the schedule, all the details, and to register today. I'd love to see you all there. Live with Squacky was mixed and mastered by everybody's favorite voiceover attack, Uncle Roy Oakleson of Antland Productions. Live with Squacky is sponsored in part by Mid-Atlantic Voiceover LLC and Antland Productions. Quack, quack.